This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Very little time to chat this evening, so we'll get right to the first of our programs, Dimension X, from 1951, the story of a future society where young scientists are doubting the teachings of their leaders. Adventures in Time and Space, transcribed in Future Tense. Dimension In the beginning, there was Jordan, thinking his lonely thoughts. Out of the loneliness came a longing. Out of the longing came a vision. Out of the dream came a planning. And out of the planning came decision. Jordan's hand was lifted, and the ship was born. Yes, it missed me. What was it? A mutant with a slingshot. I think it dashed down that passageway. You want to go after it? We'd never catch it, Alan. It's probably 12 decks above us by now. I didn't think they ever came down this far. Patrols usually get them before they reach this level. Uh, they get more daring with each generation. This one looked like a female. Male or female, it might have killed us. I told you this trip was pure foolishness. Climbing 24 deck levels to hear a crazy old man rave. We're almost there now. Compartment X-15, level 24. This is the place. This area smells as if it hadn't been visited by a sanitation crew for generations. Part of the ship is almost deserted. Yes? This is the compartment of John the Witness. Who are you? My name is Hugh Hoyland. I'm a cadet from the scientist barracks. This is my friend, Alan Mahoney. What do you want of John the Witness? Only to talk. Are you a believer in Jordan? Naturally. I have heard that there are those among the younger scientists who doubt the word of Jordan. To doubt is death. We're not heretics. <sighs> Enter. I have brought a gift of tobacco. Grown on the richest level. It smells good. I assure you it's the best. Wait here. What a rat's nest. What the devil do you think he can tell you? I don't know. Now hush. Well? You are John the Witness? I am. Good eating to you. I am Hugh Hoyland. This is my friend, Alan Mahoney. What brings a gentleman of a scientist class to my humble apartment? I have heard that you and your parents before you have long been keepers of the legend of the ship. Since Jordan gave the word. I am anxious to hear the word as Jordan spoke it. Why? You see, 
Among the young scientists, there have been some who talk against the word. Uh, regulations against such heresy. Some of them say the ship has no purpose. They say, they say that we're here accidentally. That that we have no more grace in Jordan's eyes than the most deformed mutant who dwells in the highest level of the ship. What shall I say to you? I wish to hear the word from the mouth of one who knows that I may become more convinced. Sir, you have gift for the witness? The finest tobacco. Good. I will dim the light. Now, pay close attention, for these are the words as my father's father's father gave them to his son's son's son. This is how the ship came into being, how our people were created. In the beginning, there was only Jordan, thinking his lonely thoughts. In the beginning, there was darkness, formless, dead. Out of the loneliness came a longing. Out of the longing came a vision. Out of the dream came a planning. And out of the planning came decision. Jordan's hand was lifted, and the ship was born. Mile after mile of good compartments, tank after tank for golden corn, ladder and passage, door and locker, fit for the needs of the yet unborn. He looked on his work and found it pleasing, meat for a race that was yet to be. He thought of man, and man came into being. Then Jordan checked his thought and searched for a key. Man untamed would shame his maker. Man unruled would spoil the plan. So Jordan made the regulations, some to speak and some to listen. Order came to the ranks of men. Crew he created to work at their stations. Scientists to guide the plan. Over them all he created captain, made him judge of the race of man. Thus it was in the golden age. These are the true words. As my father's father taught them. But... What of the strange beast-like people on the upper levels of the ship? Surely Jordan did not create them. Jordan is perfect. All below him lack perfection. You have heard of the legend of Huff? I have heard that he mutinied against Jordan. Darkness swallowed the ways of virtue. Sin prevailed upon the ship. And before wisdom prevailed and the bodies of Huff and his followers were fed into the converter... Some of the rebels escaped and lived to father the mutants. They are tainted with the sins of their fathers. One more question, witness. Speak. What is the ship? The ship is a great sphere. Twenty-five kilometers wide and one hundred levels deep. I know that, but what about the upper levels? The regulations forbid us to venture into the upper levels, but... It is said that beyond the levels of the mutants lies the forbidden place where 
Jordan's spirit prevails. Uh, so I've heard. But something troubles me. Something which prompted my coming here. Yes, my son. What lies beyond the ship? What? What lies beyond the ship? This is Ellison. Answer me. I will not permit such talk. The ship is complete. The ship is universal. The ship is everywhere. The ship is endless. Ah, your mutterings are those of a frightened old man. They answer nothing. You question the world? I think you lie. Hear me, Mr. Highland. For what you have already said, I can have your body fed to the converter. Your soul launched on the endless trip. You threaten me. You, for Jordan's sake. You think I fear this dried fig of a man? You. Sir, my friend is impetuous. He doesn't understand. I might be persuaded to forget a substantial gift. You pig. You. Come on, Alan. The sight of this so-called holy man offends me. No, you shall not leave. Uh, don't try to frighten me with a gun, old man. Remain where you are, heretic. I warn you, put down the gun. No. No closer. Drop it. Very well, then. Death to the heretic. Alan, get him. Is he dead? I don't know. Come on, Hugh. We've got to get out of here. Now, we can't go back. They'd feed us into the converter. What's that? The old woman must have turned in an alarm. Come on, the patrol will be here in no time. Where can we go? The upper levels. But the mutant. We'll have to take our chance. Listen, that's the patrol we've got to climb. There's a hatchway. Down the car quickly. Oh, can we fly? Up the ladder. You wait. How far are we from the outside wall? Judging by the slope of the deck, about two miles. Mutant territory. Come on, we'll try this passageway. as if we're being watched. It's your imagination. Perhaps I... Oh! It's only a ship's rat. Get a grip on yourself. This is big as a dog. Come on. I can't drag myself much further. We've got to find a compartment with water. Oh, if only you hadn't asked him that stupid question. There's no use going over that. Why did you do it? Why? Alan, I've been thinking about it for a long time. And when he began to give me those stupid pat answers... Well, I just saw red, I guess. But who are you to question the ways of Jordan? When you asked me to go with you to visit the witness, I thought you wanted spiritual help. I never dreamed I'm that sorry, you... Alan. I couldn't foresee this. I didn't know it. Wait. Wait a minute. Now what? Another ship rat? No. I thought I saw something move near that bulkhead. I didn't see anything. Maybe my eyes are going bad still. Get away from me. Alan! Alan! Look out for that knife. Stay away from me. Alan! Alan! Don't kill him, Bobo. Not yet. Who are you? I must forgive my friend Bobo. Like so many of my people, he's rather impetuous where members of the so-called super race are concerned. Who are you? What place is this? 
As you can guess from my leg, I'm a mutant. Where is Alan? Your friend is dead. I was not able to restrain my people in time to save him. Why don't you destroy me and get it over with? We do not kill for pleasure, Mr. Hoyland. Only when necessary. You know my name? I read your identification tag. Who are you? Mutants can't read? My name is Gregory. I'm a leader of my people. Although we are unfortunate in our heredity, Mr. Hoyland, many of us are quite intelligent. Why do you live like animals? We would rather live like free animals than like regimented slaves, as you do. I've heard that you practice cannibalism. Undoubtedly, you hear many things about us. We raise our own cattle on the upper levels, and those of our people who choose to farm raise enough crops for our small population. You turn your head. Why? This one. I've never seen a creature like him. Bobo is an unfortunate. He was born without the power of speech. How can you tolerate a monstrosity? We have learned to live with difference. If we began to destroy our imperfects as you do on the lower levels, there would soon be no one left. It violates the regulations. The word of Jordan You know, Mr. Hoyland, your people are really primitive and barbaric. You dare say that to me? I dare say a good deal more. Let us go to my compartment and speak further. I'm always interested in information of the lower levels. I won't give you any information. Oh, Bob. I want Mr. Hoyland in my cabin, please. Hey. Hey. I advise you to go quietly, Mr. Hoyland. Bobo has a hatred of superior beings, which is unfortunate, but quite understandable. Proceed. <laughs> Mr. Harlan. This is where you live? Yes. But you have books. Stolen from your libraries, Mr. Harlan. Compton's Astrophysics. The Philosophy of Interstellar Navigation. Celestial Mechanics. You have read these? Um, most of them. Why did you bring me what do you intend to do? Do you believe in Jordan, Mr. Harlan? There is no other belief. And the trip? I suppose you believe in the trip, too. Well, what else is there to believe? When you die, your remains are fed to the converter, and your soul makes the trip. And where does the trip take you? Why, to Centaurus, of course. Huh? Well, what is Centaurus? Why, Centaurus, mind you, I'm just telling you the orthodox answer... Centaurus is where you arrive when you've made the trip. A place where everything is happy and everybody's happy and there's always good eating. It's mythological, of course. And you believe this? The peasants believe it, literally. But many of the younger scientists like myself know that it's figurative, symbolic. Why do you ask? Didn't it ever occur to you, Mr. Harlan, that the trip is exactly what your peasants believe it is? That the ship and all the crew were actually going someplace. Moving. The ship can't go anywhere. It already is everywhere. Imagine a place bigger than the ship. Much bigger. With the ship inside. Moving inside. But there can't be any place bigger than the ship. There wouldn't be any place for it to be. Oh, for half's sake. Listen. You know the lowest level? 
Yes. If you started digging a hole in the lowest level, where would that hole go? Where would that hole? Oh. No, it's forbidden to think such a thought. Where would it go? No. No, I can't think about it. Bobo. Bobo, we're going to take Mr. Hoyland to the place. Where are we going? To the top level. But it's certain death. Nonsense. I've been there a thousand times. Come along. No, I won't. You can't make me. I think we can. Now, shall we proceed peacefully, or shall I have Bobo persuade you? Open the door, Bobo. Inside. place is this? This, Mr. Hoyland, is the main control room. Why, Mr. Hoyland, you're trembling. It isn't true. There is no such place except in mythology. Oh, you younger men are so wise, Mr. Hoyland, except for one thing. This happens to be the main control room of the ship. But it, it, it's nothing but a huge room with an instrument panel. What did you expect? How do you know this is the main control room? See these instruments? Using them, the navigator, many hundreds of years ago, actually steered the ship on its voyage. I don't understand. I didn't suppose you would. Your people have been so steeped in superstition and ignorance that the whole concept has lost its meaning. Sit in that chair. Don't be frightened. Sit down. Very well. Look up. What do you see? Nothing but a huge shield. Watch it for one moment, Mr. Hoyland. You are going to see something that few of us have ever been privileged to witness. Something so dazzling that you may find it hard to accept at first. But it is there. It is a reality. And ultimately, you must accept it. What are you doing? I'm dimming the lights. Don't be frightened. Keep your eyes focused on the shield above us. Ready? Watch. The shield! It's sliding back! you've been too stupid to see. But it can't be. The ship is the universe. There is nothing but the ship. Ah, but there it is. You see it before your eyes, spread out like a canopy of glory. Do you still deny it? Answer me, Mr. Hoyland. Do you deny it? did you close the shield? You will see it again if you're not afraid. I'm not afraid. Many times. 
I've shown this to others of your people whom we captured, and though they saw it before their very eyes, they would not believe it. Tell me about it. Tell me about the ship, about the universe. What are these things? How did this come about? Many thousands of years ago, on a planet like those you've just seen, a planet called Earth, a scientist named Jordan decided to build a ship that would carry men from one planet to another. For many years, Jordan and thousands of others studied and planned. And when they were finished, they built the ship. A ship so large that it had to be assembled in its own orbit beyond a place called the moon. Sixty years it took them to construct. And when it was finished, a whole new science had been conceived. Then the trip was begun. The trip that was to land a colony of Earthmen on a far-off planet called Centaurus. Millions of light years beyond the furthest planet ever reached before. How do you know these things? Among my books are the log which Jordan himself kept. And the records of the journey for the first 40 years. What happened? There was a mutiny. A man named Huff led a rebellion of those who wanted to turn back. In the struggle, the navigators were killed. And the crew fell into a state of anarchy. In the years to follow, small groups of men tried to organize the ship for navigation, and each time they failed. Finally, the whole idea was abandoned. And so for centuries, we have swung in space, unmanned, undirected, living in a lost world of our own making, without purpose, without direction. Why have you told me this? Why have you brought me here? You could have killed me. Can you guess? No. No, I can't. Unless... But it would be too fantastic. Well, you want to finish the trip. Yes, that's it. What would it take to do it? A miracle, almost. The crew would have to be trained. Many people, each skilled in a certain duty. Couldn't you train your own people? We are too few. Besides, the main drivers in the lower levels where my people are forbidden to go. No. It would mean that both our peoples would have to work together. Our differences encouraged rather than denied. It can be done. You showed me. You can show others. I can show them. Can you? I'll see the captain himself. I have an uncle on the central board. I'll tell him what I've seen here. And do you think he'll believe you? Send one of your people with me. That's asking a good deal. I'm risking a good deal by going back. Very well. Bobo will go with you. He can't talk. There will be no need for talk. I will write a message guaranteeing safe conduct for a group of unarmed scientists to visit the main control room. Bobo will take you safely through our territory. What happens when you reach your own level is up to you. One moment. Yes, what do you... You... Quick, Uncle, let us in. But this mutant... He's harmless, please. Now, what is this? You're wanted I know for... all about that. Listen, Uncle, I must see the captain. The captain? Are you mad? You're a council member. You can get me to see him. They'll kill you. You're wanted for heresy. I don't care. I must speak with the captain. You're close to him. You can arrange it. I don't understand why... Uncle, listen to me. The ship is moving. I can prove it. Do you understand there is a purpose in the ship? 
I don't understand what you're babbling Never about. Never mind. Just talk to the captain. Tell him I have information of tremendous importance. Tell him I've arranged a truce with the mutants. A truce? Here, show him this paper signed by their leader. Do it, Uncle, for my sake. I don't know. Please, I... Uncle. If I'm to die, let this be my last request to you. Very well. I'll speak to the captain. I'll try. And you say, Mr. Harlan, that you saw this with your own eyes. I swear it, Captain. I swear it on the word of Jordan. Let me see that paper again. Hmm. What do you think, Commander Est? I don't know, sir. It might be a trick. I guarantee you safe conduct. If these things are as Mr. Hoyland reports them, you'd pay to risk a few lives. The man is a convicted heretic. Still, we mustn't discount his word entirely. He has a safe conduct. A mutant risked its life coming with him. I think we might investigate. You will do it. I'll have an expedition outfitted. Dismiss, Mr. Hoyland. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Captain, do you... Commander Erst. Sir. You'll make the necessary arrangements for an expedition. I trust you understand. Perfectly, sir. Perfectly. Lieutenant. Mr. Hoyler. You'd better halt your men here. This is the spot. Patrol, halt. I see no welcoming party of mutants. There will be none. Their leader will meet you inside the main control room. You don't say. And just where is this main control room? Beyond that door. I see. All right, men. Ready arms. Why do you ready arms? In case of ambush. Ambush? Don't you think they could have ambushed you on the way up here a good deal more easily? You know, Mr. Orland, I think you're a mutie lover. They have a place in the converter for that kind. Lieutenant, are you mad? No, Mr. Hoyland. But most certainly you are think that we could be lured up here to be slaughtered with a fantastic story about some mythical control room? Guns ready, sir. Lieutenant, I warn you, these people have acted in good faith. If you break... Call the army to open the control room, Mr. Harlan. No, not until those guns are dismounted. As leader of this expedition, I order you to call them. I refuse. You cannot do this thing. This is no way to keep a truce. Very well, if you refuse. Oh, there! Mutant! Come out! For Jordan's sake, Lieutenant! All right, for comfort. Mutant, open the door. Please, Jordan, don't let anything happen. Please don't. It's opening. Ready, men. Someone's coming out. Look at his leg. Horrible. Steady. I can't stand this. Look out. Gregory. No. You fools, you've killed him. Here come the rest of them. Fire. should teach them a lesson they won't forget. All right, men. Inside the room. Orlin, you're under arrest as a conspirator in this ambush. Ambush? You fool, you blind, stupid fool. That'll be enough. Have you been inside this place before? Yes. What's all this machinery? These are the controls he would have used to steer the ship. He's gone out of his mind, Lieutenant. Steer the ship? Who? The leader, the one you killed, 
This ugly mutant? This ugly mutant happened to be a man of true greatness. You're mad. Am I? This man had a vision which could have saved you, but you chose to kill him because you couldn't stand the sight of his difference from you. I'll not listen to these ravings. Close your ears. Shut your minds against the conscience that tells you it's wrong to kill. That tells you that your need to be arrogant only proves your inadequacy to yourself. Shut him up. Don't listen to him, man. You can't shut your ears. My words sting you. You cannot shut your minds. And you cannot shut your eyes. Shut him. The roof. It's moving back. Look. Let the vision of this confound your ignorance and blind your eyes. This is the heritage you tried to stifle in your own breasts. This is the heritage of stars and open skies for which men have yearned for centuries. Try to destroy this, and you'll only destroy yourselves. Death to the heretic. Kill me if you choose. But I say to you that this you cannot keep from our people, that they will seek it out, and the ship will be manned, and the ship will be steered, and there will be freedom and purpose and respect for ourselves. This is your heritage. Look upon the universe. Kill him! Kill You have just heard another adventure into the unknown world of the future. The world of... Dimension X. This has been the concluding broadcast in the current series of Dimension X. If you are interested in the continuation of this series, please write and tell us so. Your ideas and suggestions will be given the most thoughtful consideration in determining the future of this program. Just drop a letter or postcard to Dimension X, care of NBC, Radio City, New York. Today, Dimension X has transcribed Universe, written for radio by George Lefferts and based on a story by Robert Heinlein. Featured in the cast were Mason Adams as Hugh and Peter Capel as Gregory. Your host was Norman Rose. Music by Bert Berman. Engineer, Bill Chambers. Sound created by Manny Siegel, Max Russell, and Wes Conan. Dimension X is produced by William Welch and directed by Edward King. Ed Archie Gardner tangles with Tallulah Bankhead on The Big Show. Stay tuned for Fibber McGee and Molly next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Fibber McGee and Molly. And the episode first heard in 1945, Fibber Makes Fudge. Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. <laughs> of Johnson Wax Products for Home and Industry present Fibber McGee and Molly, written by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie, with music by the Kingsmen and Billy Mills Orchestra.
Kramer's Drugstore in Westville Vista is noted for two things. It's wonderful chocolate fudge and the fact that it usually hasn't got any. But today, the sale is on. And here, just home with a bag, big bag full of the confection, we find Molly, our Fibber McGee and Molly. McGee, you know what I got at Kramer's Drugstore? Don't tell me you bought some of that quick-drying fountain pen ink at Kramer's. That stuff is terrible. Why is it? I had some of that on my last trip to Peoria. You did, huh? You know how you always shake your pen at a hotel wall to see if the ink is flowing right? Yeah. Well, that stuff dries before it hits the wall. <laughs> Rattles against the wallpaper like you were throwing buckshot. Well, that's too bad. But that isn't what I started to tell you. Kramer's were having a special sale. That outfit's sale. always having a special sale. They think a one-cent sale means giving you four pennies for a nickel. Yeah, but this was a... Kramer's idea of a bargain is giving you two of something you don't want with something you gotta have for half again what you'd have to pay if you went someplace you'd rather go to if it wasn't raining. <laughs> Will you stop interrupting me a minute? Huh? Telling you something is like trying to lie on your back and play badminton with hailstones. I'm sorry, Molly. I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead and talk. Thank you. I was just going to say that I bought... I hate it. It's the guy that won't let the other guy talk. I know that. That's why I was... Form of egotism. That's what it is. Thinks what he has to say is so much more important than what the other guy is saying. He just can't keep his big fat mouth shut. Exactly. Now then, when I was down at Kramer's drugstore... For goodness sakes, McGee, will you please let me talk? Well, that wasn't me, Mommy. That was the doorbell. What? Oh, pardon me. Come in. Mrs. McGee? Yeah? I'm your new neighbor next door. If we should go away for a few days, would you take care of our boxer? Oh, you betcha, sis. I'm very fond of dogs. Oh, this isn't a dog. Huh? It's our cousin, Punchy McClatchy. Thank you very much. <laughs> My goodness. Did you ever hear of Punchy McClatchy, McGee? Sure, sure. Six feet of fighting scar tissue who couldn't batter his way out of a hairnet. <laughs> Known in prize fight circles as the Waltz King. <laughs> Gone into more dives than an MP in Paris. And made a will leaving his jaw to the Libby Owens Glass Company. <laughs> but tell me, kiddo, what were you saying about Kramer's? You got me interested. Well, uh, this morning I had a terrific desire for some good chocolate fudge, so Fudge? I... Well, why didn't you say so? Don't give it another thought, Snooky. I'll whip you up a batch of fudge. The old-fashioned kind. Oh, please, McGee. You don't have to make me any fudge because Your I... Your wish is my command, madame. You says you were hungry for fudge, so you get fudge. Now then, what do I need to make fudge? Cocoa? Eggs? Eggs? No, no, don't need eggs. Hand me the phone. I gotta call the grocery. Here, but now listen. Thanks. Hello, operator. Give me Jimmy Sales grocery and meat. Mark my words, it's her. Who? Mert. <laughs> How's every little thing, Mert? Yes. What say, Mert? Your married sister. In an interesting condition, eh? Ah, isn't that nice? No, 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 no. She was studying ballet and got her foot caught behind her neck. <laughs> What's Mert? Yeah, yeah, the grocery store. Thanks. Hello, sales grocery. Herbert McGee speaking. I just called to order some eggs, but I happen to think you don't need eggs to make fudge, so forget the whole thing. <laughs> well, here we go, laughing and scratching. Come on out in the kitchen, baby. McGee, for the last time... But it time... probably won't be the last time, Tootsie. 
When you fling a fang into this fudge I'm going to make, you'll realize why the chief of the Waldorf is a man. That's pronounced chef, dearie. It is? Well, when I was in the Army, I cooked a mess of baked beans for the commander-in-chief. That's and... chief. <laughs> I cooked a mess of beans for the commander-in-chief that were so wonderful, he wanted to know the name of the chief that cooked them. Chef. The chef that cooked them. So I tells the commander-in-chief, I said... Chief. <laughs> Where's the saucepan? <laughs> ah, here we are. Those are frying pans, McGee. So what? Didn't you ever eat any fried fudge? <laughs> frying brings out all the delicate... Hey, 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 hey. What are we keeping this thing for? That's a colander. Well, it's full of holes. <laughs> I only want the best equipment in any kitchen of mine. Throw that thing out the window. Certainly. Thanks. Now then, a double boiler. Why a double boiler? I always boil my fudge twice. Uh, now, let me see. Salt, pepper. Billy Mills is the orchestra, and it's got to be this or that. Look at that rich brown color. Yep, like the back of an old boxing glove. <laughs> Boy, get a load of that smooth, creamy consistency. <laughs> this stuff is going to turn out to be pure velvet. Yes, one bite and you have a long nap. <laughs> it turns out as good as I expect, I might put it on the market. Trivers fine fudge. Oh, my. I can just see the billboards. Feeling foul, folks? Why fret, humor, fuss? <laughs> Feed your face with a fistful of Fibber's fine fudge. <laughs> 
If feeling low with work and drudgery, drop in on Fibber's fancy fudgery. Ah, that's great. I'll make the name of Fibber McGee anonymous with fine candy every place. You mean synonymous, dearie. Hmm? It starts with a sin, and if you think I'm whistling Dixie, you're tone deaf. <laughs> I'll have my fudge in every drugstore in the United States. Bye, George. I'll... Come in. Oh, it's here, Latrivia. Out here in the kitchen, Your Honor. Oh, hello, Molly. Hello, McGee. Hi, Latrivia. Have a chair and watch a master confectioner confect a confection. <clears throat> what witch's brew are you concocting there, McGee? If you're working on synthetic rubber, don't go any further. A set of tires that smelled like that which set the automotive industry back 75 years. He's making fudge, Your Honor. Oh, fudge. What was that last crack, Latrivia? I merely said, oh, fudge, indicating that I had, with my usual perspicacity, grasped the situation. Oh. Uh, may I make a suggestion? Certainly, Mr. Mayor. Well, every time I drop in for a friendly chat, we seem to conclude with some unseemly conversational brawl. Now, let us for once not get into an argument. Oh, it's okay with me, Latrev. I'm a peaceful citizen. I can get along with anybody. Well, now, isn't that nice? Ah, splendid. People who go around with chips on their shoulders... Just leave my father out of this, Latrivia. That's... Your father? What did I say about you? His father was a carpenter, Mr. Mayor. And just because an honest cabinet maker has a few chips on his shoulder doesn't give you... Oh, I was speaking in a rhetorical sense, McGee. I certainly did not mean actual chips. You mean my father used phony chips? (laughs) Now, just a darn minute, Latrivia. There's no more honest people in the world than carpenters. And I, I didn't say a word about carpenters. You brought that up. No, he brought McGee up. He... I mean, a, a, an honest chipper, a, a carving honest sir. Uh, when a man has a chip on his father... Stop shouting at my wife, Latrivia. I was not shouting! I was not shouting at your wife. Well, who were you shouting at, Mr. Mayor? At your husband. Speak up, Latrivia, speak up. <laughs> if you got anything to say, out with it. Quit mumbling. I... I was only trying to... When I attempted... I was hoping that for once we... McGee, don't you like me? (laughs) Why, of course he likes you, Mr. Mayor. You're a fine chap, Latrivia. Inclined to fly off the handle now and then, like a cheap hatchet. But a fine chap for all of that. Thank you. Then, before I leave, may I tell you something I have never said to anyone else? Why, of course, Your Honor. What is it, old man? Simply this, McGee. You have dripped that horrible mess of fudge all over the front of your shirt and pants. And on you, it looks good. Do you suppose he doesn't like carpenters? Just a frustration, I'd say. Probably wanted to be a carpenter himself and couldn't. Because he always puts the wrong construction on everything. Yeah, that may be. Oh, McGee, you've spilt that stuff all over the floor. Ah, so what? I got plenty left. I made a couple. I made a double recipe. Hey, everybody home? Out here in the kitchen, Mr. Wilcox. Oh, hi, Junior. Hello, pal. Hello, Molly. Hello, Mr. Wilcox. Do you like fudge? Is that what he's making there? Yes. No. Am I to misconstrue that as a reflection on my cooking, Junior? If the shoe fits, pal, you can walk for miles without finding an argument. 
Gee, I wish you had a copy of my cookbook. Your cookbook? I never knew you were interested in cooking, Mr. Wilcox. Family recipes, aren't they? No, I just stole them here and there. You know the old saying, if you steal from one author, it's plagiarism. But if you steal from everybody, it's research. Well, mine's research. Now, looky here, Junior, looky here. <laughs> I know you, and I know you ain't doing this strictly for the benefit of frazzled females. You got a gimmick in there someplace. Well, there is one little device I thought was interesting. Stand by, Racine. Here it comes. <laughs> Well, you see, every time I mention eggs or gravy or soup or anything that's liable to be spilled, I add a footnote. It says, remember, spilled things are easily wiped up if your kitchen linoleum is protected by Johnson's self-polishing glow coat. Why, that's a very unobjectionable reminder, I'd say. Yeah, that's the vicious part of this guy's approach, Molly. He sneaks up on you like Aunt Tessie's elderberry wine. And in the chapter on preparations, of course, I tell how to keep the kitchen always ready for use. How to pour out a little Johnson's glow coat, spread it around, and let it dry with no rubbing or buffing necessary. And how it beautifies the linoleum and makes it last six to ten times longer. And then, hey, what time is it? Six to ten. Oh, gee, I gotta go. I'll see you later, folks. Hey, 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 don't you want to wait and have some fudge? No, 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 thanks. I always thought you had quite a sweet tooth, Mr. Wilcox. Well, I have, but my sweet tooth takes advice from my wisdom tooth. So long, now. Imagine Mr. Wilcox an author. Ah, pata. <laughs> All it takes to be an author these days is an idle summer and a publisher with too big an income tax. Well, passing up that fertile subject for the time being, dearie. Move aside while I wipe up that spilt fudge. Okay, I gotta beat this pan for a little more anyway. You know, this baking soda don't mix in very good. Baking soda? Did you put baking soda in that fudge? Why, oh, certainly. It makes it light and fluffy. It's the vinegar that gives it that sharp, tangy smell. Vinegar? Oh, now, McGee, after all, you don't put everything into making fudge. I didn't put everything into it. Look at all the stuff on the shelf there I didn't use. <laughs> Celery salt, onion flakes, horseradish. Hey, horseradish with a dash of horseradish. No, horse no. <laughs> don't stir it so hard, dear. You keep spilling it. Okay. I'll beat it out on the back porch and whip it. I'll be back in a minute. Oh, I bought a little goat and his name was Jack But he got so homesick I had to give him back Oh, <laughs> hi, mister Oh, hi, Teeny. Now, don't get too close to me now I might splash some of this on you And it's hot stuff in more ways than one <laughs> What you making, mister? What you making? Watch out Fred, sis And if you keep quiet like a good kid I'll let you help me lick the pan Oh, boy Gee, thanks, mister. I love fudge. You do, eh? Hmm? I says you do, eh? Do what? Love fudge. I know it. <laughs> Take a gander at that, sis. Beautiful, eh? Bet you never saw any fudge that color before. <laughs> I bet you I never saw anything that color before. Well, making good fudge is a fine art, sis. Mm -hmm. I ever tell you why they call it fudge? Oh, <laughs> no. Well, sir... Hundreds of years ago, even before one man's family was on the air, <laughs> there was a family of little elves lived in a great big forest. Mm -hmm. You know what an elf is, sis? Sure I do, I betcha. My daddy is an elf. He goes down to the elf's club every day. <laughs> no, I didn't say elk. I said elf. Brownies, gnomes, leprechauns, pixies. Elves. I mean elves. 
Okay. Well, sir, one day the chief of the elves, a little fellow named Egg Duff, was out for a beetle back ride, and he fell off his beetle and got lost. Oh. <laughs> and he wandered around getting hungrier and hungrier till he come to a place where some human beings had been having a picnic. Oh, how did he know human beings had been there, mister? How did he? Well, because the grass was all torn up and the trees had initials carved all over them and there was tin cans laying all around and dirty newspapers and broken glass and all stuff like that there. Oh? Nobody makes a mess like that except human beings. Oh? Well, sir, little egg duck climbs around looking for something to eat and he finds a little crumb of brown candy. He eats it. It's delicious. And he eats some more. Mm-hmm. And he gets so much strength and energy, he walks right straight home again without any trouble. Oh, gee, goody. Uh-huh. And he tells all the other little elves all about the wonderful stuff he'd found, and they all wanted some. So being a bright little elf, little egg duff got a bee, got him to bring him some honey, and he milked a few milkweed plants to get some milk, and... Made a batch of the finest fudge you ever saw. Oh. Where'd they get the chocolate, mister? Hmm. Well, they got off, no, off of the Beatles' cocoa. Uh, they, they got it all right. Anyway, all the little elves were so happy about it and so grateful to Egg Duff and got to like fudge so much. You know what they did? Sure. Huh? They call it fudge on account of that egg duff spelled backwards. What? Well, I gotta go now. So long, mister. One of all the little point killers I ever heard. I still think that's it. The King's Men singing Tam Pico. So you engage a senorita in a hurry. You find she's got a broken telephone and number. And learn to dance by mail from Arthur Murray. Ow, oh, Tampico, Tampico. Where's the great big pool they throw? Tampico, Tampico. Down in Mexico. As the sunset fades to a purple glow, we bid farewell to Tampico. We'll steal away and leave her stay there on the Gulf of Mexi, Mexi, Mexico. the people and kick him in the teeth. 
Heavenly days, McGee. Haven't you finished making that fudge yet? No, not quite. I had to boil it over again. Why? I couldn't taste the mint sauce. <laughs> mint sauce? McGee, this is going to be the most horrible... Now, 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 now. Take it easy, Mommy. Take it easy. Hand me the vanilla, will you? Please? Certainly, sir. Here you are. Thank you. Oh. Yeah. That ought to do it. It really should. I haven't smelled so much vanilla since I walked past the stag line at our high school graduation dance. Ah, <laughs> oh, McGee, for goodness sake, you get... Come in. Who is it? Dr. Gamble, Molly, where are you? Oh, we're out in the kitchen, Doc. Come on out. Well, well, this is a happy little domestic scene. You look cute in that apron, McGee. The only difference between you and Ann Sheridan is that you look like Bull Montana. He's making a batch of fudge, Doctor. Oh? Geez, smells swell. Let me start a while, McGee. Okay, kid, come on. You stir five minutes and I'll stir five oh, minutes. Oh, for eh? goodness. <laughs> Here, Doctor, here's an apron for you, too. The Tomain sisters at work. <laughs> you interested in cooking, Doc? Love it. Did you ever eat any of my guinea hen Maryland with sauce gamble? No, no, no. Never been in Maryland, Doc. Oh. I got a great little recipe for barbecued meatballs with wild rice. You see, you get yourself a pig. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but wait till you try my spinach ring. Hmm? And my salami cacciatore. <laughs> Brother, you haven't lived till you've tasted that. Now, look, first you take some dry sherry. Oh, no, no, I never use dry sherry, Doc. No? Always wet sherry. (laughs) The dry sherry... Now, look, boys, am I in the way here? I can just as well go out on the porch and smoke a cigar. (laughs) No, 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 stick around, Molly. We'll just... uh... Say, isn't this fudge about done, McGee? Look, it's getting hard. Well, uh, drop a drop of it into this glass of cold water, Doc. If it forms a little bead, it's ready to cool. Okay. Ah, very interesting. Sank like a mother's heart at Willie's first haircut. It's done, Doc, it's done. Here, I'll put it out in this pan. Mm, Boy, oh boy, that really looks marvelous, McGee. That's the only green and purple fudge I ever saw. Much obliged for helping me, Doc. You can have the first taste of it when it gets cool. Oh, no, no. It's your recipe. You're entitled to the first bite. Oh, no. You're the guest. You first. Well, let's compromise. We'll let Molly have the first taste. No, no, you don't. No, no. Why, Molly, I made this just for you. Gee whiz, after all the trouble I went to because you were hungry for some good homemade fudge, my gosh. All right, all right. Now get out of my kitchen, both of you. I'll let you know when it's cool. I've got to clean up in here. I haven't seen so many dirty pans since the Elks put on their last minstrel show. Well, okay, Molly. Say, um, come on, McGee. I want to tell you about my venison fricassee. Yeah, and I want to give you my recipe for pineapple upside-down muffins, Doc. Oh, yeah. First you take a pineapple, uh-huh. then you turn it upside down. <laughs> ah, dear. There goes a good kid. Two good kids, in fact. Too good to be on the receiving end of what I have in mind when I look around this wreck of a kitchen. But now to dump out this murder mixture. And put the fudge I bought at Kramer's on a plate. 
There we are. And three lives saved. <laughs> All right, boys, the fudge is cool. Come and get it. Come on. Ah, the patter of little feet. <laughs> Didn't take long to cool off, did it? Why, certainly not. I had sense enough to drop a couple of ice cubes in it the last time I boiled it. <laughs> hey, this looks wonderful, Molly. Sure changes color when it gets cool, don't it? Yes, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. Ah, that's as fine a looking platter of goodies as I ever surveyed with these astigmatic old orbs. McGee, you're wonderful. I told you to be okay when it got cool. Mm-hmm. Have a feast, Doc. Thanks. Uh, Molly? Thank you. My gosh, it's delicious Yeah, it's the best Mm. fudge I ever ate It's simply grand, McGee Well, I'm glad you like it, folks Make you some anytime you like That's a wonderful recipe I made up, if I do say so myself (laughs) And you know the most miraculous thing about it? No What? When it cools off, it's even got nuts in it That fudge all gone? Well, I'm just finishing the last piece, dearie. Okay. By the way, you started to tell me about something you got at Kramer's drugstore. What was that? Well, now let me think. I had it on the tip of my tongue just a minute ago. (laughs) Never mind. Good night. Good night, all. This is Harlow Wilcox speaking for the makers of Johnson's Wax Products for Home and Industry, inviting you to be with us again next Tuesday night. Good night. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Duffy's Tavern, followed by Lights Out. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.